Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We are God's people. We serve a missionary God and are sent as His people to accomplish His mission. The question is, within our churches, within our communities, how do we move from merely having a presence to engaging and serving and making an impact on our communities? Today on the Scent Life podcast, we'll be discussing ways that our churches can become not just a part of our communities, but really be seen as invaluable to the ebb and flow of our community life. So glad to have uh, Keelan Cook with us today on the Scent Life podcast as we talk about uh, really getting to know your community as a church and not just knowing your community. Uh, how do you kind of study your community, get involved in your community, and become a, a valuable asset uh, in your community? But just to introduce you briefly uh, to Keelan Cook, uh, he is the Associate Director of the Union Baptist Association in the Houston area, Houston, Texas area. Uh, he did uh, serve for two years overseas in Western Africa with the International Mission Board. Uh, he also helps us out a lot uh, here at the Center for Great Commission Studies and at Southeastern. He's an instructor of North American missions for us. Uh, he is also the coordinator of Diaspora Missiology, which is one of his uh, backbones. Uh, but also, Keelan, I know you have a, a real affinity for uh, engaging peoples from around the world. Uh, and so tell us a little bit more about yourself, kind of your role, your family. Just help us know who Keelan is a bit more before we get into our conversation. Sure. Uh, happy to be here with you guys. Uh, looking forward to the time together. Uh, so as you said, my name is Keelan Cook. Uh, I wear a couple of hats in my work life. I'm the associate director for our Baptist Association out here in Houston. It's one of the larger associations in the country. We've got just somewhere between three and 400 churches, depending on the day, uh, in our, our network here in the Houston area. And so my job really centers there around how we help those churches work together to fulfill the Great Commission. If I have to give it a shorthand, that's ultimately my job. Uh, how do we help churches cooperate in the city of Houston in a way that has them becoming real sending churches? How do we help them think through Great Commission initiatives and tasks like church planting, replanting, and of course you mentioned diaspora missions or this idea of working with refugees and immigrants and international students, what we call displaced peoples. Okay. Uh, that's a big issue nowadays in a lot of our cities. And so how do we help churches think through that issue effectively? That's kind of what I do in that role. And then, of course, uh, you'd mentioned the work that I'm doing with the, the school there with Southeastern and the CGCS that kind of centers around diaspora and North American missions. So those are kind of the two hats I wear in my professional life, so to speak. Uh, in addition to that, I'm married uh, to Meredith. Uh, we've been married now for going on four years. Uh, anniversary's right around the corner. Uh, we just had our first uh, little girl. She is 10 and a half months old now, I want to say. Uh, her name's Nora, and uh, she's a cartoon character, man. It's been a, it's been a real wild ride uh, with that one, but we're enjoying it, and we're living life out here in Houston now and, and having a good time doing so. We're glad you jumped in here with us on Zoom with all the, uh, the world shut down and the COVID crisis that's hit the world, and so we appreciate you Zooming in with us and... Uh, uh, just chatting, chatting a little bit with us about your ministry. Talk to us just a second about 
your blog. You got to been working for years uh, on a on a blog, a website that's been very very popular, very helpful to churches. So, can you talk to us just a minute about your your blog and your platform there? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the blog's called the People's Next Door, uh, and that's of course with intentionality, peoples being all the different people groups that we now find uh, really next door to us here in our cities in the, the U.S. Uh, the website, it started really as a passion project that was birthed out of some of the work we were doing there several years ago in the Center for Great Commission Studies. Uh, we had started thinking through what does it look like to help churches do this, and uh, as we did that, we spun up the website, started putting out articles, resources, really to help churches think through what it looks like to do cross-cultural ministry locally, not just overseas. Uh, and it's been going uh, ever since we did that. And so it's a, at this point, really a repository. There's a lot of articles and things in there uh, trying to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Uh, it's really geared toward helping local churches think through this issue. Uh, yeah. How do we get out into our community and engage uh, mm -hmm. effectively? Good, good. No, and I think that's, it's always helpful, especially in light of, uh, really where the world has been and the trends of migration and globalization and honestly churches having hold of the Great Commission. I like what you said, Keelan, just this idea of coming alongside local churches in your area and even through the uh, the resourcing of the blog of churches really around the country and even beyond that uh, of helping them cooperate, uh, which uh, isn't always the easiest to do, uh, but cooperate around mission. Uh, and to be honest, even in what we've been experiencing uh, over these last however many months since the beginning of, of the year 2020, which will go down in infamy. Talk to us about this a little bit more as you talk about a church cooperating, sending, engaging their community. Why is it so important that we as churches know our community? And when I say no, I mean beyond just knowing, hey, here's where the three best coffee shops are. I mean, although that's important, but why is it important for churches to really get to know their community? Yeah, so I think that's one of the really great questions in church ministry. Um, it's kind of the foundational question and a lot of what we do when it comes to trying to engage in any kind of great commission task. So I would argue that a church, uh, when it overlooks its, it, it overlooks its first mission field, if it overlooks the neighborhood that's right outside its doors. Now, that's not to say that a church shouldn't be involved overseas. By no means am I saying that. Uh, it's not to say that churches shouldn't be trying to plant churches in other cities. However, I mean, Acts 17, it tells us that God chose when and where to put people so that they might seek God and perhaps find him. If that's the case, he decided where your church is and he decided where your neighborhood is and when they would be there. He did that so that people might seek God and perhaps find him. That means we have a responsibility to those that he's placed around us. Um, your church isn't where it is by accident. It's not a mistake that it's there. Uh, and so when I try to talk to churches, particularly here in our association, just in general, about why it's so important for them to do community mapping or for them to understand the community around them, there's kind of three ideas that I'll tend to give them. Uh, one, we have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel. Uh, that's the church's role. It's our task. Uh, and we are supposed to do that to the people that are around our church. And in order to do it, uh, we need to be both biblically faithful to the gospel message, not change it, but make it understandable to the person that's hearing it. So we have this twin thing, biblically faithful, but also understandable to the hearer that we're going for in gospel ministry. Uh, the second idea is that every neighborhood or community is unique. 
I think it may not seem that way on the surface a lot of times. And that's where we usually make mistakes with this. We'll grab some kind of consumer demographic report, um, know some percentages about buying patterns or percentages about like average median income and think therefore we understand our community. But that's not true. Every neighborhood has a unique story. It has a history and it's different from everywhere else. Um, one of the ways that I, I tend to talk about, it, so I'm from the Nashville area originally, and it's easy for me to pick on Nashville because of that. Uh, but when people think about Nashville, they tend to think about country music, cowboy hats, big belt buckles, those kind of things. But Nashville's also home to the largest Kurdish community in the world outside of the Middle East. And listen, not, not a one of them wears a cowboy hat or a big belt buckle. <laughs> if we treat Nashville like everybody there is the same kind of person, then what we wind up doing as churches is we create hidden peoples mm. right there in our own city. Mm. Uh, it's just like the hidden peoples we talk about in overseas missions, right? Uh, there'll be whole groups of people, whole communities that have a different story than the one we would expect. And we'll just overlook them and how we explain the gospel. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's important to realize that our community is unique and we need to know the, the story of it. Uh, the last idea is the fact that every community is an ever-changing target. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk in fields, right? The mission field. And that's, that's a good analogy. But I think one that's also helpful is to really think of it more like a stream or a river. Uh, the neighborhood, the community around your church is different slightly today than it was yesterday. And it will be a little different tomorrow from how it is today. So we're really sitting in the middle of a river as uh, the story goes by us and as it evolves and as it shifts and people move in and out of that neighborhood. And as those things happen, a neighborhood is really a dynamic entity, not a static entity. And so a church that knew the area around it 20 years ago, that area doesn't exist anymore. It knew, two, it knew their neighborhood in 2000 but the neighborhood in 2020 is actually a different neighborhood. And so you've constantly got to revisit this idea of understanding the community. So, so let me, I mean, that's all really helpful. And, and I, it really does sound like this idea of, of a church knowing their community, honestly, it takes a lot of initiative, uh, resourcing it. Honestly, it's just tiring. So, I mean, if it's always changing uh, and so uh, you know, what we thought, of our community yesterday and how we ministered to that community really could be different, uh, not only a block away, uh, but just a week later, uh, perhaps. And, and so what we've talked some about this idea of uh, knowing our community, and you mentioned this idea of mapping, uh, and I want to be careful because I think you're right, Keelan, uh, there's a difference between, and we'll hit more of this in, in just a little bit, between demographics and feet on the ground or, or, or knowing kind of the facts of the area versus knowing experientially uh, your area. And I think sometimes to, to our shame as churches, we, we trade one for the other. Uh, we right. feel good our spreadsheets, but real people get messy. So that's neither here nor there. But anyway, so, so maybe um, in, begin to introduce us to this idea of, of community mapping. Um, in fact, uh, why don't we take a, a little bit of a break here, uh, and, and so when we pick up after the break, uh, you can help us fill in what is, what is community mapping, how does this push us further into this idea of knowing the people and the community around us. Sounds good. 
Thanks again for joining us on the Scent Life podcast. We've enjoyed our interactions, our conversations. We appreciate your listening and being engaged in it. I want to make you aware of a couple of exciting ventures coming out very soon. Uh, We have multiple centers on campus, uh, the Center for Great Commission Studies. We also have the Pastor Center and our Center for Faith and Culture. So be aware, uh, coming early August, we have two new podcasts coming. The first one, Pastor Matters, through our Pastor Center. You want to go ahead and sign up for that, be looking out for that. Then the other one coming right after that in August is from our Center for Faith and Culture, and their podcast is Christ and Culture. Just like we've been having some great conversations, they will be doing the same. You'll want to make sure that you look out for those, that you subscribe, and that you tell your friends about them. So again, before the break, we were talking about getting to know your community, uh, some really key points uh, to remember from Keelan Cook about uh, the need and the continual need of getting out and and really feet on the ground in your community. But we introduced this idea of community mapping. Uh, And so Keelan, uh, tell us a little bit more, uh, what actually is that? Uh, What role does this play in making churches invaluable within their community? Yeah, so when I introduce the idea of community mapping to a church, a couple of myths that I think you need to dispel. One is, uh, and we mentioned this briefly before uh, before the break, there's this desire to equate community mapping with having a spreadsheet of demographic information that we've gotten from some website somewhere. Uh, Census data is good data. Don't mishear me. It's good to have some of those spreadsheets, and they provide an aspect of understanding a community but they do not provide the entirety of it. Uh, They're the easiest thing for us to get a hold of, but until we've had boots on the ground in a community as a congregation ourselves, that's all hypothetical information that's easy to misinterpret, if that makes sense. So until we've lived the experience in the neighborhood, uh, we're not really sure if these statistics bear out the reality, or even if they tell us what we think they tell us. So there's this necessary component that I tend to refer to as community mapping versus the idea of just pouring over some spreadsheets. Mm. Um, The way I tend to describe it to people, I'll say that community mapping is using uh, intentional interpersonal interaction. Uh, Real Baptist way of doing that, it alliterates. Intentional interpersonal interaction. (laughs) It's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, in order to discover kind of the story of the area for the sake of engaging that area with the gospel. Um, it's intentional and it's interpersonal interaction. Though. Those, both of those words are important for me. Uh, it's intentional interaction because uh, it has to be proactive. We can't just say, well, we live in the neighborhood, therefore we know the neighborhood. Uh, or worse, our church facilities in the neighborhood, we might have lived there 20 years ago, but we moved away two decades ago and now live out in the suburbs or whatever, and we drive in, but we know the neighborhood. So there's this intentionality that's necessary that forces us to actually get out into the community to do this kind of work, um, that that level of discovery has to have some intentionality to it. Uh, and then there's an intentional gathering of information. It's not just the getting out, but it's actually bringing back information so that we can share it with one another. And that's really how your map 
of the area starts to develop is you have many who will go out from a congregation potentially, and then they come back with what they know. And once we dialogue with one another about that, our understanding or our map begins to develop. So it's intentional in that sense. Uh, it's also interpersonal though. And I can't stress this part enough. Mapping, real well done community mapping has to be face-to-face, -face, lived experience in the community. Uh, otherwise, you're just making guesses about what the people there believe. Uh, and you're never actually going to share the gospel with somebody if you're not talking to them at some point. Seems so, That's right. Yeah, right? Like, it's, it's a foundational piece of community mapping. Um, you've got to be able to gain an understanding of how to present the gospel in a community. And the only way you're going to do that is is by having folk that are living face to face with the people in their community. In some sense, I've got to be rubbing shoulders with, I've got to be having two way conversations with those people. A church's greatest tool for community mapping is not software. It's actually the congregation itself. That's a church's greatest tool for community mapping. So Keelan, you, I know that you do this in Houston and you've actually helped some churches do this through, even through the Center for Great Commission Studies. It's a, it's a service that we help people with. But so I'm a pastor, I'm listening to this conversation, you've gripped my heart, I'm kind of committed, okay, I want to be on mission in my community. Can you give us a, just, a, a, just a, some basic next steps? What should a pastor or a missions pastor uh, do with his congregation now, training, next steps, to begin to develop this thing that you're calling a community map. And then what is, what, what is this thing? Is it a document? Is it pins on a wall on a map? So kind of give us this little practical, hey, this is what you need to start doing, and this is what you're going to have, or at least the goal at the end of that thing. Yeah, certainly. So it's, it's going to look different church to church, of course. I'd say lean into your strengths. Different churches are going to have different tools that are available to them. So there's a little bit of every church is going to have a little bit of a different path, right? So there's philosophy how to do it. And then there's specific tools you'd use though. A lot of the common tools and common things that I would suggest to a church. Uh, one of those is go ahead and start plotting third places and points of interest in and around your neighborhood and your community. Now let me quickly describe those. So yeah. third place or a point of interest is, a brick and mortar location. This is the kind of place where people from your community would come in contact naturally with people from uh, the community. So people from the church, people from the community can come together in this space. It might be, as Greg was mentioning, a coffee shop earlier. It might be, if you're trying to reach a particular people group, an Indian restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, or a, a Muslim mosque might be a third place where you'd be able to engage with in religious dialogue somebody that is from a particularly different group. So knowing the locations of and mapping out those points of interest is an easy first step for a, for a congregation when they're trying to, to map out their community, is understanding the places that the people in my community naturally visit and if I have multiple communities of people inside of my community, multiple groups or cultures of people, they're going to have different sets of third spaces. And that's an important thing to realize. The, my favorite coffee shop may not be the gathering point for that particular group of people that our church is trying to engage. And so I need to realize the places they go to and, and building out that kind of map. So that's, that's one thing. 
And it's very easy to gather that kind of information with free tools nowadays. You've got Google Maps and you can build a Google spreadsheet and it's real easy to plot a spreadsheet of addresses on Google Maps and you start to see where different communities might interact with one another that way. Another thing that's really good for a church to do is building a member map for their own congregation. A lot of churches don't know the footprint their congregation has in their community. And that's a helpful tool for any church that's wanting to get serious about engaging is know, know where your members' houses are on a map. See where they're concentrated, which neighborhoods you have easiest access to. Uh, there may be a new gated community in your neighborhood that you've been wondering, how in the world will we get in there to talk to people or engage? And you find out you've got three or four families that live in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so knowing that kind of information becomes helpful uh, as well. Uh, training and equipping your members with the right kinds of questions to ask is another big piece of this. If it's interpersonal uh, and we want our people to be out engaging face-to-face, equipping them with some questions that can help them understand the neighborhood around them and the people around them is a really essential aspect of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's helping people have simple tools for what I refer to as cultural acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when I was a missionary overseas, I went overseas and I was working in a foreign culture and a foreign language. Uh, I had to, to share the gospel with effectiveness and to share it in a way that was understandable, both learn the culture and learn the language in order to do so. In a sense, that's really what we're telling churches to do, just on a much less drastic measure, when we tell them they need to understand the story of their neighborhood. So equipping your church with the right kinds of questions to, to know things uh, about the worldview and the culture around them so that they can then share the gospel with understanding is an important aspect of that too. So I start off with my demographic information. It tells me the types of people who live in my community ethnically, mm -hmm. uh, linguistically, uh, maybe even socioeconomic. And then I ask the question, if I'm going to, if our church is attempting to reach or find where people that I need to say, what's the public space that this group of people may spend time, then I need to go spend time there and talk to these people, get to know them. At the same time, I learn, okay, this is where our, our congregation lives. And we may realize that we have three or four families or a dozen families who live in a community where this third space actually is. And then that, that group of people can serve like the missionaries from my church in that area. Excellent summary. Uh, that's exactly what we're talking about here. And when, when you take away all the academic language of it, right? Community mapping, cultural acquisition. When you take all that language away, what we're really telling you to do is if you do have access to some kind of demographic information, or if you've got a hunch, what's, what's going on in that side of the neighborhood? Fact check it by having your people out there. Mm -hmm. And once we find the areas where we need to be engaging, our people need to be there. They need to be in those spaces alongside folk, getting to understand and know them in a way that allows them to present the gospel with understanding. That's great. So let me jump in. I'm going to tee this question up. And again, I, I know we don't have a, a lot of time, but, but as you work with churches, as you're involved in, in all the things you've, uh, we've been discussing in this conversation, uh, some fantastic things. I know there are uh, probably some blind spots that are more common than others as churches consider, you know, getting involved and knowing and mapping their community, living like missionaries among the people as we've said, to what I would say are probably either maybe a pitfall, perhaps, at least, or related conversations, which we don't have a lot of time, but speak to these blind spots. One would be the conversation of gentrification. 
which we won't go far. And again, just gentrifying, going into an area, renovating, but typically the goal is make it like HGTV, uh, which causes uh, all sorts of problems uh, socially, economically for the displacement. So that could be a potential pitfall as you tell people to come back into a community. Mm-hmm. The other would be some churches might think, well, why not just plant a new church? Why do we have to do all this work? Let's just kind of rebrand or, uh, or a group go out. And again, not necessarily a bad idea. So taking all of that in the shortest amount of time you can, I know I've packed up a lot, but just as churches want to be a invaluable part and asset of the community in which they are, how do you avoid maybe some of these pitfalls or do it in a healthy way that moves beyond just kind of a, a project mentality? Yeah, that's actually two podcast topics right yeah, there. Um, <laughs> I told you, 90 seconds, or like, maybe we'll hit this yeah, again. Yeah. So in a minute and a half, let me hit those two ideas. First, let's take the gentrification issue. Man, that's a big one nowadays in the States. A lot of our urban centers have experienced kind of re-urbanization. We, we suburbanized for a long time. We're re-urbanizing questions right now about whether or not that urbanization will continue or not depends on the city probably but what it's done is or again if we talk about neighborhoods as dynamic entities they're always changing a neighborhood that might have been middle middle class at one point when everybody suburbanized it became poverty stricken perhaps but now it might be the new hot location in a city for urban millennials that are wanting to move back in and so the neighborhood's constantly in flux that's just the way that those things work Now, with that said, how do we engage and minister in that kind of setting? What you really have to realize in a community is it is very often multiple communities that cohabit the same space. That's helpful. And if I'm engaging in a community that is on a razor edge of gentrification, what I'm really doing as a church is saying there are two different kinds of communities here, two cultures same space, same neighborhood, but they have a different narrative of the neighborhood. One feels that there's a land grab going on. I used to live here. My family grew up here. And uh, what you're telling me is you're fixing to price me out because there's a Chipotle going, going in down the street and they're cramming townhomes over there on what used to be our, you know, single lot family households. So there's a whole story about how they view what's happening to their neighborhood here that matters, that's emotional, it's deep inside of who they are. The other side of that, though, is people who are excited about the renewal that is occurring in the neighborhood and the fact that, hey, look, a Chipotle just went up down the street. And so you've got two completely different narratives that you've got to be able to engage in. There's ditches on either side. One ditch says, we'll treat them like the same group. The other ditch says, we'll just care about one group. And so you've got to be able to find a way that's sensitive to both without just writing one group off is not important. Well, let me ask a loaded question here, Keelan. All this fancy talk that you've been giving about mapping your community and going to restaurants and coffee shops. (laughs) But now, because of the COVID crisis, the quarantine, the lockdown, man, I got to wear a face mask. I got to sit six or eight feet away from people. Coffee shops are closed down. Restaurants are not fun. How does this even work now? I know you're locked in your apartment or not locked in, but you're in your apartment in Houston. You've been working for churches for about six months, five months on continuing to access and map your community in the middle of a global crisis. So what do I do now? I'm listening to the podcast. I'm motivated. Then all of a sudden I realize, 
well, I can't do this. All the third places just became forbidden. So how does that work? Yeah. So isn't that the million dollar question for those of us right now trying to encourage the church to still be about the Great Commission? So it's a great question, though. I do think the answer, I think there's an answer. Third places aren't the only way to engage your community and your neighborhood with the gospel, of course. If and when we get to the point where we can go back out and do that kind of mapping, I think it's an important, easy way to start the process. However, we find ourselves in a spot right now where, where we can't. So how do we maintain that kind of Great Commission focus? If we as people realize I as an individual don't just exist in one sphere or circle of influence myself, I exist in multiple ones simultaneously, we start to, to realize I may have my access to one sphere, my work sphere, for instance, may have diminished right now because I don't actually get to go into the office every day and see the people that I work around every day. What has increased, though, is potentially my access to people that live right down the street from me. Uh, one of the things that my wife and I have noticed is uh, when all this started, really about the only thing we can do to get out here in Houston uh, is walk our neighborhood for a little while. Uh, we can go to a park and walk or something like that, but most places are shut down. So if we want to not go stir crazy, well, how does that happen? What well, happens by me getting out of the house and walking my neighborhood? So we've got to where we do that every day. The number of neighbors that I did not know I had that I now regularly see out walking the street, of course, at a social distance, but I've met more neighbors in the last two months than I did the two years prior to. Because we in America very often, and Houston's a car city, all cities aren't necessarily this way, but we drive past our neighbors to get to the other people we hang out with. Right. And because of that, our weakest sphere of influence is often our actual immediate neighborhood. Well, this moment reverses that for us. Uh, one of the guys that I've got planting a church out here in Houston is doing an excellent job with this. He just recently moved into the neighborhood where he's trying to plant. And that neighborhood, nobody really knew each other before this, but they've all started having yard parties because they're so stir crazy. And every night they'll pull armchair, armchairs, they'll pull uh, lawn chairs all together into somebody's yard, stay at a space, but they'll sit there and hang out with one another because they can't go anywhere else to hang out with their other friends. So their neighborhood has now become friends. Uh, Mac's been able to have a number of gospel conversations with his neighbors since he moved in because of this regularity of fellowship that's occurring in the neighborhood. This moment has just presented different opportunities. It hasn't shut, down, shut them down completely. No, that's good. And Keelan, man, this has been really fun and, and really helpful. You know, we'll, we'll have to figure out a way to get you on here again. And maybe next time share the same uh, public space uh, as opposed to Zoom. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but, uh, but I just want to pray for you, uh, your family and your ministry before we say goodbye. So let, let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you are uh, the God of all peoples, the God of the nations, that you do design the times and the places where we live, including where our churches are. Lord, you have put us in communities and contexts, and so would we uh, as churches take that mantle seriously, uh, that we would not just live among our community, but we would really intentionally engage our community, get to know them for the purpose of sharing in understandable and winsome ways the gospel, Lord. As so much has changed and is changing uh, in the world, you remain constant. Your gospel remains constant, and our role uh, as local churches in the Great Commission, uh, to reach, uh, as we stated before, our first mission field right outside our doors. Uh, Lord, would we uh, have eyes to see, and would we uh, 
put the energy and the resources behind getting to know uh, and be an invaluable part of our communities so that we can point them uh, to life and, and uh, life in Jesus. And so thank you for Keelan and his family be with them. Uh, Lord, thank you for the work going on in Houston uh, through the Union of Baptist Association and others as well. Uh, and would we all join you as we are sent ones on your mission to people all around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.